0: Hosted by Todd Hirsch, ATB Financial's Vice President and Chief Economist, The Future of Podcast is in its third season. By connecting with industry leaders to uncover what's on the horizon for things that mean the most to you, The Future of Podcast promises to give you insights to help navigate what is often an uncertain future. Explore how our economies and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates. Subscribe to The Future of in the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. And connect with us at atb.com slash of You know how that old saying goes, June showers bring torrential downpours and flooding.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly how it goes. Very, very catchy.
0: Yeah. uh, There are flood warnings in effect, uh, not as far north as Edmonton, but for much of southern Alberta right now. Yeah. Uh, as of the time of recording.
1: Yes, <laughs> just south of us has rainfall warnings. Yeah. So it's probably coming this way.
0: Yeah. Uh, and just last night, a friend who lives just over in Saskatchewan had their basement flood.
1: Yeah, that was not cool.
0: Due to raining, so had to,
1: had to go save some puppers there.
0: Yeah, lots of uh, lots of downpour in the last twenty four hours.
1: I mean, rain is good. Yeah. Just maybe not all at once. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Rain spread over a longer period. Yeah. And not receiving 100 centimeters of rain all at once.
1: Right? Yeah. It's a little, it's a little (laughs) much. We are unprepared. That's not true. We are, in fact, prepared, like as a province.
0: Well, we are now. We
1: can handle this kind of rainfall. There was. Me personally, I was not prepared. (laughs) There
0: was historic flooding several years back that uh, enacted some changes that made for better response to this kind of emergency. But uh...
1: yeah. But that's like government departments. I'm talking like me personally. I was like, oh, it's very rainy. Okay. <laughs> uh, I have an umbrella, I guess.
0: Yeah, my umbrella my actually raincoat? blew to pieces this morning. Oops. I, uh, I have one that lives in my car so that if I'm out and it happens to start raining, I, I have one on hand. I keep it in the passenger seat, basically. I keep it on the passenger side so it's in reach. I don't have to go into my trunk or something to get it. And uh, at some point, someone, and I'm not saying who stepped on it while they were sitting in the passenger side, and it bent it. Um, And I was like, oh, that's a shame. I didn't realize that it was uh, more damaged than that, though, because when I went to open it this morning, it literally snapped in half and then blew to pieces in the first gust of wind.
1: Scott came home this morning with this tattered, broken umbrella. (laughs) Like, like, it was almost comical.
0: It in no way protected me from the rain this
1: morning. No, this is why we have raincoats, though.
0: But uh, that's neither here nor there, and as often is the case, we've fallen into the trap of talking about the weather.
1: Because we have weather around here.
0: Yeah, the weather just is topical. (laughs) There's always something going on. Always seems to be the day that we're recording, too, so... Yeah. (laughs) But uh, we'll, uh, I guess, get into a recap of our previous chapter, in which we split a little bit of time between the officers and the junior officers... The, uh, the ensigns hit upon a plan that required moving from the safety of the galley, while the officers uh, were whittled down to one. And that pretty much leads us into Chapter 11 of Screams from the Void by Ann Tibbetts. So this chapter begins with the Ensigns leaving the galley with Officer Neal and beginning to make their way towards the greenhouse to take a look into the spore situation, which was the plan they had hit upon last Yes, chapter. exactly. Um, and they are immediately confronted with the signs of the firefight that happened practically outside their door yep. a couple chapters ago.
1: And the aftermath of said firefight.
0: Yeah. They discover Gala's body pretty early on. And... Like, this this confirms a lot of worst fears for a number of them. Yes. Everybody takes a moment to deal with the shock of having discovered a dead body on board the ship.
1: Yeah. Tamsin does not take it well.
0: Neither, arguably, does Neil. At all. They yeah. they both handle it differently, but the, the trauma is real.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Tamsin breaks down because she is looking at the corpse of her friend. Uh, yeah. Basically. And Neil, Nile? I read it as Nile in my head.
0: And Tibbets, if you're listening to this episode, just chime in on social media.
1: <laughs> Let, Let us, know. us know
0: if it's pronounced Neil or Nile, and th- then we'll know kay. moving forward.
1: <laughs> I'm going to say Nile because that's how I read it in my head. Uh, anyway, Nile's reaction is to throw up, prompting me to think this ship is getting grosser and grosser by the chapter. Because it's full of uh, death and vomit, and I'm pretty sure someone is going to poop themselves. And slime. And slime. Like, it, this, Alien slime. This, this ship is just getting gross. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, a, a couple things happen here that are worth noting. And the first is that Avram makes an interesting observation of the body. Well, he goes to retrieve Tamsin and kind of pull her away from where she's sobbing over Gala. He's like, this is kind of interesting. The cuts on her arms, which, of course, we know the monster slashed her across her arms, look really deliberate. Like someone was deliberately trying to stop her from being able to use her arms. And he observes that that indicates perhaps intention mm-hmm. behind that attack.
1: And and a certain level of intelligence.
0: Yeah. And Morvin's just like, it's just a dumb animal. It just slashed at her. And Abram's like, I don't know. This This looks deliberate. This looks like the, the creature knew where to target mm-hmm. and targeted it. And this actually opened up a whole can of worms for me because it made me think all the way back to the first chapter. Right. When the creature came out of the duct, and who was its first target? The captain. Mm-hmm. Who was its second target?
1: The pilot. The pilot.
0: Then it stuck around on the bridge until Sorrel came up, potentially knowing that someone had been called up because the captain did call Sorrel up. Yeah, that's true. And it stuck around until he got there. And then you pointed out a couple chapters ago, it seemed to intentionally... Go after Gala. And then it seemed to intentionally ignore Pollux at one point. Yep. This has recontextualized everything for me. Because now I'm like, maybe the attack on the bridge wasn't an accident. Maybe the creature deliberately went after the flight crew first to cripple the operations of the ship. Maybe. If it's that smart to specifically attack a certain part of someone's body, maybe it's smart enough to attack a certain member of the crew.
1: Maybe. I mean, it's it's certainly possible. It's just as likely to me that it got lucky, and the first section of food slash people that it found happened to be the flight deck. But if I don't Av- know that it's smart enough to understand rank. But is what I'm saying.
0: If Avram is correct,
1: if Avram is correct, and if you're if you're both correct, then our threat is much bigger than we think it is. Yeah, they're not overcoming hunting instincts at that point. They are encountering like deliberate, targeted. Assassination. Yeah, Yeah. sabotage (laughs) attacks.
0: Yeah, and you know what? It still kind of tracks with my harebrained theory from last episode, where I suggested that this might be some form of biological weapon. Maybe. Maybe that intelligence is intrinsic to its ability to target a population. Maybe that's part of what makes it such a dangerous killer. Hard to say.
1: We will find out, probably.
0: The second kind of important thing that happens is Reyna... Shoots off a suggestion, you know, maybe we're going about this the wrong way. Maybe we should be trying to trap this thing. And she gets largely ignored by everybody. And she's like, this is typical. again." In fairness, everybody is dealing with shock at that moment. And kind of all in their own business. So I don't know that it was necessarily an intentional slight against her. But she does get ignored in that (sighs) moment. And she's probably right. She will kind of... She probably is. She'll kind of come back to this at the end of the chapter. She won't specifically say this, but she's suggesting
1: yeah. it it it's uh hinted at not so subtly
0: yeah uh, tamson's like we can't just leave gala here we have to do something and is rightly told no that's not priority one priority yeah. one is we have to deal with the problem let's
1: survive first <laughs> then let's bury our dead exactly i think this really speaks to how all of these characters react in a crisis because that's what they're in now. They're all up. They're in emergency crisis mode, right? Oh yeah,
0: for sure. Well, I mean, they already kind of were, but things just got even more
1: up. so yeah. now, right? This wasn't hunker down and wait for the storm to pass crisis. This now we're is in a, the storm. <laughs> yeah, this is in the storm crisis mode. Morvin, we already know this, wants to be the hero. Yeah, wants to be the hero so bad. Yeah. Tamsin goes to pieces.
0: Avram is trying to be analytical.
1: Yeah. Avram switches into analysis mode, right? Yep. Yeah. Niall loses his lunch and is just can't properly he's, deal with it. He's
0: frozen up because he's not equipped for this position. Yeah,
1: exactly. And yeah. I hate to say it, but Raina Morvan and Avram are probably our best crisis actors
0: here. Well, I'm going to I'm going to give Tamson some credit when she's given a task to do. She does go into it. Yes. And she does focus in on it. So she, she's not a leader in a crisis, but she is capable in a crisis.
1: Yes. Rain is the only one who hasn't totally lost anything. Temper, feelings, lunch, right? Yeah,
0: ironically, she might be one of the best uh, people to have in a crisis because she's holding it together better than everybody. Yeah.
1: Morvan, you can you can see his temper...
0: That's the problem.
1: With rising it. rising, yeah. and lowering and rising and lowering.
0: I'm willing to say at the very least he's trying to keep his cool. And he is trying to keep his head. You can tell that there is effort going into him not losing his temper on a couple occasions. Yes. He's barely holding it. But he is actively trying to not lose it. And I think it's because on some level he recognizes it won't help.
1: Yes. And I think Reyna actually pointing that out to him, bringing it to the forefront of his mind will probably help them as a group. Potentially. We'll, we'll get to the conversation at the end of the chapter in yep. a bit, because that's kind of what this is leading into.
0: Yeah. So the first things first, though, they move on. They can't linger here. They have a plan. They need to follow through on it. So they gather everybody back up and head to the greenhouse. There's no time to really sweep it for safety, but it looks safe enough. They head in and they make their way over to the quarantine tube, pop it open, and Avram quickly confirms, yep, there's the spore that got busted out of. Definitely, it looks like something tore its way out. Everybody's like, wish someone had noticed that earlier.
1: Yeah, but hindsight is twenty twenty, right? It's true. If the spore just burst open and it's got like funny lacerations in it, if they don't know what was inside it, they yeah. don't know what made that. They don't know if that's not natural. Well,
0: and they were, of course, operating under the assumption that it was a plant, not an animal. Right? So...
1: So, despite Morvin's angry temper about how stupid she was not to see this,
0: nobody saw it. There was no context for
1: it. Yeah. Without context, it's just slashes. For all they know, it's natural, like, folds on the inside of the pod, right? So It is
0: kind of interesting that the report did mention it looked like lacerations, though, and it was never followed up on. I will say that.
1: Well, how would they follow up on it? They didn't mm. have anything to follow up with.
0: Or to further investigate what might have came out of it, because nothing seemed to come out of it, and they were just like, well, that's weird.
1: Yeah, when they found it, it was open, and there was nothing there. So unless they had a camera on it, which I don't think they did.
0: They did have a motion sensor on it, at the very least.
1: Did that motion sensor go off?
0: That's what woke up Pollock several chapters ago.
1: Because she thought it was the other thing flowering and opening up that set it off.
0: The spore, specifically. She thought it was the spore setting it off.
1: Oh, I thought it was a vine.
0: The, The spores were attached to a vine. Oh, okay. Speaking of which, the other spore is not open. They confirm, okay, one of these eggs is still an egg. This is good. What do we do with it? Well, obviously, get it off the ship. So Morvin and Avram manage to pick the slimy spheroid up and very slowly jostle it over to basically the elevator to take it up to the airlock level.
1: Yeah, this raised questions of size and weight for me, because how big was this thing when they brought it on board? When they were talking about a seed spore, I pictured something maybe the size of like a yam. (laughs) at most something that a person could carry quite easily in their hand. But it takes two of them to carry this thing.
0: Like a large gourd, maybe. Um, and I suspect that part of the reason it took two of them is because of how slippery it is. Cause it's mentioned a couple times, it's very slimy and viscous. Yeah. And so it takes them a while to get it over.
1: Yeah, but they talk about them like grunting and hauling and at one point Morvin like takes it in the thigh because they're just about to drop it and he swears a lot and it hurts. Like this thing is Way bigger than I thought, than I was led to believe definitely, by earlier words.
0: Definitely awkward, if nothing else.
1: Oh, for sure awkward. And it's also like, it's like carrying one of those, um, what were they called, water wieners? Yeah. Remember when we were kids, water wieners? And you couldn't hold them because they were weird tubes that folded in on themselves?
0: Yeah, yeah, except a very big one.
1: Yeah, like a space <laughs> water wiener.
0: They managed to get the spore over to the elevator and, and send it up, as mentioned, to the flight deck. And that leads to a new problem. They can't remotely open the airlock.
1: Yeah, they have to be upstairs where the where the airlock actually is.
0: Yeah, and nobody is particularly keen to go up to the flight deck because it's pointed out, like, you'd think that if someone was on the flight deck right now, they'd have done something. Right. And the fact that nothing has been done and we haven't heard anything from them, that doesn't bode well.
1: They are assuming that all that crew is dead.
0: They're assuming that all of the crew is dead, and at this juncture, that's not a bad assumption to
1: make. No, it's very realistic. Because, well, we as readers know, everyone up on the flight deck is dead. We know for sure Pollux is alive.
0: And that's it. We only know for sure that Pollux is alive.
1: Yeah. Valda, maybe.
0: Yeah. Last we saw Valda, he was grievously injured, but he could have survived. He could have survived. But for sure, we only know that Pollux is alive. Yeah. And and we the, don't know where she is. And the group of ensigns. Um, and so it's, it's not unreasonable for them, even without the dramatic irony, to assume Everyone is dead. They found Gala's body. They haven't heard anything from the flight deck. It's very likely they're the last people left on the ship. Yeah. In this moment, that's, that's a very nope. reasonable thing to assume.
1: Absolutely. Based on what they've seen, for sure.
0: So not really wanting to go up several decks and risk any danger, it suggested, could there be a way that we could maybe hack into the airlock controls from down here so that we don't have to leave the greenhouse? Tamsin's like, it's theoretically possible to do it in the lab. And so everybody jostles their way through the little humidity lock yeah, <laughs> into the lab with all of the delicate equipment they don't want to have the greenhouse air rusting and corroding. Right. And uh, Tamsin sets to work. But unfortunately, she's having trouble.
1: Well, because it's designed so that she shouldn't be able to do this. Yeah, the right? ship's
0: computer countermeasures are very good. Yeah, and safety
1: protocols, et cetera, are all in place. Yeah,
0: as good as Tamsin is... At computers, she's not good enough necessarily to crack the codes and the firewalls.
1: Yeah, it's at the very least, it's slow moving. Right, This is very slow going.
0: Slow enough that everybody starts to kind of lose patience. Even Tamson kind of starts to lose patience because at one point she suggests, well, what if we just hunkered down here? What if we stayed here nice and safe and sound in this small defensible room until help arrives? The answer is we don't know that help is coming.
1: They don't know that help is coming.
0: And in fact, we can be pretty sure it's not.
1: Well, yeah. Everyone on the flight deck died before any messages were sent.
0: Yeah. And it's actually also pointed out that the Corps' regulations specify that a a distress call is sent out to the United Space Corps after the foreign biological is contained. Yes. And the foreign biological is not contained. Presumably, that means nobody has sent out a call. And I (laughs) thought, this is a terrible rule. (laughs)
1: It is a terrible
0: rule. I can kind of almost see why that regulation would be in place because you don't want to send out a distress signal and have another ship come and dock. And be in danger. And be in danger. But at the same time, I'm like, why wouldn't you have like a distress code? Like say it's a code three. The United Space Corps receives a code three and they know, hey, just FYI, the ship that sent out the code has a foreign biological on board. Please stand by. And so they can send a ship To keep a safe distance, but be on hand when the foreign biological is contained. And once the foreign biological is contained, they can send the all clear. The rescue ship Mm -hmm. can move in.
1: Or, yeah, at least know what they're getting into when they send a team. Yeah. As opposed to sending, know whether or not you need to send Marines or medics. You know what I mean? Well,
0: or both. And the other thing is, like, if the Demeter here never checks back in and never makes it to port, at some point somebody's going to go looking for it, Right. And they're going to have no idea what happened, and therein lies more danger. Right? So they should be able to send a distress call immediately.
1: In all honesty, there should be some manner of automated distress call.
0: At some point, yeah, probably.
1: Right? That seems like a smart idea to me, right? Like, if the captain doesn't sign in for 24 hours or something like that, or no one signs in, right? Eventually the ship goes, oh, there's something wrong with my humans. We need to call for help.
0: Presumably, yeah. So it just, it struck me as an odd rule. And even Tamsin is like, well, I don't remember any regulations saying the ensigns can't send a distress call if the officers are all dead. <laughs> and to
1: be fair, we only know of, for sure, for, the ensigns for sure know of one living officer.
0: And that's Neil. And that's
1: Neil, or Nile, <laughs> whatever. The one they have with them.
0: Yeah, and even, right? even not counting him, we know that Pollux is still alive, but they're the only two officers left on the ship. So faced with that, Morven actually is like, "Hey, Reyna, how about we have a word in private?" And Neil's like, "I'd really rather we not all split up right now." And Morven's like, "It's cool. We'll just go into the little humidity lock. We won't go far, and we'll just have a little private chat there." And he's like, "All right. Well, don't don't take too long." So Morven and Reyna head off to have a little private tete a tete.
1: I don't like their tete a tete at all. Not really. No. Like I said at the beginning, Morven wants to be in charge
0: so bad. Actually, what you said in the beginning was that he wants to be the hero so bad, but the best chance to be the hero is to be the guy in charge. Yes,
1: yeah. and he wants it so bad. He wants it so badly, he's convinced himself he deserves it. Kinda, yeah. He doesn't say it outright, but you can tell by the way he's talking about it. Yeah. He deserves to be in charge. And I'm just, I just like put my face in my hands and I'm like, oh no, please don't put this guy in charge.
0: Well- <laughs> The problem is, he does have a point, to a certain extent. But he has not taken into account that he is probably not the best or most stable person to have in charge. Basically, he's like, look, this is the situation we're in. We're probably the only people left alive. We don't know if any of the officers are alive. Chances are they're all dead. Neil is the senior most person, but he is falling to pieces. He is clearly not equipped to handle this. That leaves, basically, you and I as the two level heads here. Avram is... Basically, like, two gasps from death because of his allergies. Tamsin has fallen apart every time she's seen any sort of danger. And that puts basically me in charge because I'm the senior most ensign.
1: And as he points out, she's just a mechanic. And you're
0: just a mechanic. Although, to be fair, Reyna kind of is like, you know what? I don't know that I want to be in charge. So... I'll let that Wait, one slide. <laughs> to
1: to her credit, I wouldn't want to be in charge either, but I also wouldn't want Morvin to be in charge. Well and
0: neither does she to a certain extent, but at the same time, he's laying out a fairly convincing argument. While it goes against her better instincts because she recognizes he's probably not the best person to be in charge, he's also making a case that there's not really a good alternative. The that's the that's the, the, sad part. the thing is she's the good alternative, but she doesn't want it, and so she's not even considering herself.
1: No, I wouldn't want it either.
0: Yeah, Morvin is like, here's what we do. Basically, I go in there, I take charge, and we try to get out of this situation. And she rightly is like, what you're suggesting is technically mutiny. And he gets pretty defensive right. about like, that. It is not. Uh, yeah, Morvin. It is. She's like, I'm not willing to back you if you're basically saying that you're going to assume command over Neil. But if you can convince him to relinquish command to you, I will back you on that play. But there's one other problem. What exactly do you intend to do? And Morvan's like, well, kill the monster.
1: Okay, I read that and I immediately like screamed at him in my head, that's not a plan. That is a goal. <laughs> this happens a lot in... I've, I've, maybe it's because I watch a lot of superhero movies. It happens a lot in superhero movies. The plan is, get the bad guy. That's not a plan. That is a goal. <laughs> that is the, that is what the plan does. Yeah.
0: Step one, question mark. Step two, question mark. Step three, three. question mark. Step four, get the bad guy. <laughs>
1: right? Step five, profit. <laughs> like, okay, you want to kill the monster. How do you plan to do that? That's the plan part.
0: Yeah, but not only that, she points out his goal is flawed. It's easy enough to say, well, we're just going to load up on our guns and go hunt the monster and kill it. That's what the officers just did. That's literally what the officers just did. And they were a heck of a lot more competent than us when it comes to that kind of situation. Gala is a veteran of a war. And yes. you saw what happened to her. Tamsin has probably never held a gun in her life. You were correct that Avram is basically hopped up on medicine and it's the only thing keeping him alive at the moment. Mm-hmm. And Neil's not in any good shape at the moment because he's dealing with shock. You and I cannot kill this monster.
1: <laughs> right? We are equipped less than the officers were equipped. And they failed. And they failed. So that is not a good plan. <laughs> well,
0: it's not even a good goal. No. We need to have something different in mind. We can't just go in like cowboys, pew pew, yee It's not going to work. Yeah.
1: So I think that Reyna's being very reasonable here with, okay, look, <laughs> if you can come up with a plan that isn't run around and shoot and- if Nile agrees to it, because technically he is the officer, mm-hmm. so that it's technically not a mutiny, yeah. then yes, I will back you on this. But you can't just step up and be like, I'm in charge now and she's got my back. Because no.
0: Because that is mutiny. And Morvin, despite a little flash of anger in there when he's accused of attempting a mutiny, uh, does calm it down and agree to these terms. He's yeah. like, yes, that is reasonable.
1: I do appreciate that Reyna, in this moment, in this situation, still calls him on it. Yeah. calls him on his temper and he realizes what he's doing and backs himself down. He
0: actually gets defensive at one point and is like, no, don't try to placate me. And she's like, well, then what are you going to do? Is punching the wall going to help in this situation? And he actually is like, no, you're right. That's fair. He
1: legit has a moment of reason.
0: Yeah. Calms himself down, unclenches his fists, which Reyna notes are splotchy. And he itches in that moment.
1: Well, he was handling uh, the weird space spore.
0: Yeah, I noted that the text went out of its way after they had gotten it into the elevator. I didn't mention it at the time, I'm bringing it up now, that he and Avram were covered in slime after, after all the jostling. And I was like, that's probably not good. And then sure enough, here at the end, our author, Anne, points out that he scratches his palms. And I went, oh, that's terrible. Because now he and Avram are both... Covered in alien slime rash, just but, like Pollux.
1: But is that what's keeping Pollux safe? Is it safety slime? It is might it be. dangerous, itchy safety slime?
0: Well, if nothing else, it's uh, making Pollux feel sick. She's got a pounding headache. She's itchy Crazy. all over. She's got a fever. She's got a fever. That's not good. And I can't imagine that Avram or Morvin are going to handle that
1: very well. Avram, especially.
0: Avram is not in good shape because of his allergies to begin with, and Morvin with a headache and a fever. You think he's going to be making rational decisions? Goodness, no. 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 No, no, no. So this is bad and getting worse. And that's where we end the chapter.
1: <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> um, there was one more thing I wanted to bring up. Before they head into the greenhouse, I think, is when it happens. mm mm-hmm. uh, Reyna is considering sort of how everyone is doing. And she focuses for a while specifically on Niall. To the point where he now looks really suspicious.
0: Go on. Are you, are you making an accusation?
1: No, that's the problem. It made me so suspicious that I thought it couldn't be right. Like, it g- genuinely felt like we were being thrown a bone to throw us off. She was talking about how Niall is very by the book, right, and following regulations and won't let them go up and send a distress signal because they're not supposed to, because they're not, you know, qualified. And I'm like, why would, in a state of emergency, the ranking officer, as far as they know, not want to send a distress signal. Yeah, Not that... let them follow, like, not let them break rules to save themselves.
0: Which is interesting because he did agree to breaking the rules to allowing Tamsin to hack the computer. Yes. So she does get hung up on the fact that it's weird that he's being a stickler for this one regulation, but not a, a different
1: regulation. Right? Like, why doesn't he want them to go call for help? That was what was playing in my mind. Why doesn't he want them to call from help? Doesn't? It... Mm. Is it because...
0: He is a secret murderer. He is a secret murderer. But you're not willing to walk right up to an accusation at this time.
1: Because it feels too obvious, right?
0: It's suspi—it's certainly more suspicious than Valda, who I outright accused yes. a couple chapters ago.
1: And then he got his guts sliced
0: open. <laughs> and I will point this out. Neil is on an additional tour after his retirement age. So he wanted to come on this tour for some reason.
1: Hmm.
0: Hmm. 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 Just saying. Well, let's... I'm, let's...
1: Not, I'm not ready to trip into the accusing parlor, but I am going to throw him some side-eye.
0: All right. We'll mm. we'll allow for some side-eye on Neil uh, at this time, but uh, maybe we'll see if it blows into a full accusation by next chapter, which you'll want to read up on in time for next week. Absolutely. That'll be chapter 12. Yes. Um, in the meantime, you know, in space... All your utilities are pretty much provided for on the starship assuming that you are well supplied but here on earth you do need to unfortunately rely on purchasing them from somewhere and uh fortunately right here in alberta at the very least there's one company that you might consider for all of your utility needs
1: This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity and natural gas with low rates, awesome service and profit sharing with local charities. Park Power is owned by Chris Kozowski, who has a growing and well-deserved reputation for being a guy who cares. If you're in the Edmonton area, you may have seen him around town in his signature bowtie, supporting local causes and boosting local business. He walks that talk with his business. It's why Park Power shares its profits with local charities. As a new customer, you can choose a community partner to receive 10% of the proceeds from your electricity bill. Visit parkpower.ca for more.
0: You can, of course, probably find similar companies to Park Power locally. Uh, and even if you can't, we definitely do strongly encourage you to support local Absolutely. in your community. Uh, We're definitely fans of that here on The Read-Along. We are. Yeah. Um, You can support our locality by (laughs) checking out the Alberta Podcast Network website. That's albertapodcastnetwork.com. Loads of great podcasts. Not all of them are community-focused. You're going to find stuff on innumerable topics.
1: Oh, at this point, pick a random topic. We probably have a podcast for you.
0: Yeah, uh, you can download them on your podcatcher of choice while you're there. That's probably where you're downloading our pod. Give us a little rating and a review. Oh, we'd appreciate that. We sure would. You can also share appreciation with us via social media.
1: Absolutely. We are on the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Facebooksies. And the good readers is this. Yes. <laughs> we are at the readalong on most of those.
0: You can also send us an email.
1: Yes, we are thereadalong at gmail.com.
0: And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Let's start a company called Safety Slime.